Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can follow along this morning in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we'll be in verse 15. Uh, or another way that you can follow along this morning, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, uh, you can follow us along on there. Uh, if you have the app, you open it and uh, click down on the bottom where it says more. Uh, there will be an, a tab that says events. You click on events where the first church on there, uh, the bulletins, the outline, all the scripture we're going to use this morning is on there to follow along with. So uh, that is on the Version app. But while you're turning to Colossians, uh, this morning we come together and we praise God for what he has done for all of us. You know, this cross represents what God has done for us. He sent his son to die on this cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he went to the grave, but the grave could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down. He has risen. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we are going to celebrate. We are going to celebrate him and what he has done for us. And we, what he has done for us is he has become our living hope. He is our living hope. His resurrection means that we can put our hope in a Savior who is alive and is active. And this morning, we have plenty of reason to celebrate this living hope. You know, the world seems a little crazy right now. Things seem a little hectic. Things seem a little upside down in the world today. And we could very much use hope. We could use some hope, and we have a Savior who is our living hope, and we have reason to celebrate Him and praise Him this morning. And what are those reasons? What reasons do we have to put our trust, our, our hope in our living hope? Well, Colossians this morning gives us the answers to that question. Why should we put our faith, why should we put our trust in Jesus as our living hope? And what's kind of different this morning is usually Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and following is used during Christmas time. It's used during Christmas time and and you know it seems like it was just Christmas a little while ago and and now here we are at Easter but this morning I think this is more than just a Christmas passage. I think this is a passage that describes to us who Jesus is and what it is he has done for us, what he was sent here for. And so this morning we're going to look at these reasons that we have to put our faith, to put our trust in our living hope. And so uh, we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And it says this. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so right here, we are the first thing we're going to, the first reason we have, the first thing we're going to look at this morning is Christ is creator. Christ is creator. He is our creator. And, and it starts in verse 15 by telling us that the Son is the image of the invisible God. This word image implies representation and manifestation, which would mean that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of his Father. Jesus is a splitting image of God the Father in his personality, in his characteristics, in his qualities, he is the exact representation of his Father. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us this. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, the reason this is so important is because nobody can see God directly, face to face, Father God. No one can see him directly, but yet to see Jesus Christ means to see the Father indirectly. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus coming and living on this earth, he is a picture of God the Father. He is the exact representation, and to see Christ would mean to see the Father. He is the representation of the Father. And it goes on in verse 16 to say, or at before 16, at the end of verse 15, he is the firstborn over all creation. And this may seem confusing because Jesus was not created. No, he has always existed. No, this phrase simply means that he is of first importance, of first rank. So before creation happened, Jesus has always been there. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit has always been there. They weren't created. They were the ones who created. You know, an example of this can be found in, in Solomon. He was not David's firstborn son. That was Amnon. But many believe Psalm 89, 27 is referring to Solomon when it says in Psalm 89, 27, and I will appoint him to be my firstborn the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Solomon may not have been the first son, but he was of the most importance. And Jesus is of the most importance. Before creation, Jesus was. He has always been there. Then in verse 16 and 17, we continue. It says, and for, and for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, this is where things really get fun. You know, the Trinity is a bit complex. And to sit here and explain how the Trinity works this morning would take a while. So we're going to look at this as simple as possible this morning, but we often don't think of Jesus as creator. We don't. We don't often think of Jesus being creator. No, we think of God the Father as creator, and, and Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the, the earthly representation, and then there's the Holy Spirit who mediates between uh, the Trinity. But we see in Scripture that Jesus was there at creation, See, we know in Scripture that God spoke and the heavens were created. Psalm 33, 6 tells us, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God spoke and everything came into existence. But we also know from verse 15 that Jesus has always been there. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, before creation, Jesus has always been there. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, really elaborates that. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So Jesus was there and he had a part to play 
in all of this. And then scripture goes on to tell us in John chapter 1, verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Hebrews 1, verse 2 says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. And it may sound a bit complicated or a bit tricky, but I think Norman Geisler sums it up pretty well when he says, The Father, then, is the ultimate source, the efficient cause, and the Son is the mediating cause of the world. And so we see God has created the world, but Jesus has also created the world. He has created the world. God has created the world through his son. And when you all think, or when you think about it, when you really think about it, it makes sense. If Jesus was and is God, God is a creator, and if God is a creator, then it would stand to reason that his son would be able to create and it would stand to reason that as all these things were happening, he would have been a part. And so Jesus is creator. And it says in verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He can hold all things together because he is before all things. If he created all things, then it would make sense that Jesus can hold all things together. And the truth is, without Jesus Christ, everything would fall apart. And, you know, I hear, it, I hear it said often, man, where is Jesus? Why isn't he doing something right now in this world? He needs, we need to hear more. We need to, we need to see him do something. What is Jesus doing when in all actuality, in all truth, Jesus is here working, moving in the world today? And if you think the world is bad now, imagine if Jesus wasn't how things would fall apart. You know, in all honesty, we have reason, all of us have reason to thank Christ this morning outside of even his death and resurrection. The New Bible Commentary says it really well, and I love what they say. It says, all men and women, whether they recognize it or not, are totally indebted to the Lord Jesus as creator and sustainer. For not only has he made every person who enters the world he also sustains their lives daily, giving life and breath to each one. Those who are in Christ and therefore know him on a personal way should express their gratitude to him as creator and sustainer by living godly lives. Not only does he hold everything together, not only does he keep everything together, we have reason to praise him, reason to thank him this morning because of what he has done for us. He gives us breath. He gives us life. And this morning, we can put our faith in our living hope because we know that the God who died on the cross for us gives us life, breathes life into us, sustains us every day. He is creator. The second thing that we should know about Jesus, that, that we can put our hope, our faith, our trust in him as a living hope, is that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Verse 18 he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
He is the head of the church. And when we see him say the church, this means the body of believers in the world. It doesn't just mean cornerstone. It means everybody who believes is a part of the church. And Jesus is the head of that church. You see, the word head means to be source and origin but it's also translated to mean leader and ruler. And all of these things describe Christ. He is the origin of the church. He is the source of the church. Without Jesus, there is no body of believers. There is no church without Jesus Christ. He is the origin and the beginning. But not only is he the origin and the beginning, he is also the leader and the ruler of the church. And you see, this is a position that has been placed on him by the Father. Ephesians chapter 1, 22 through 23, it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, it is Jesus that gives us the gifts that we use for serving him. It is Jesus that supplies the church with life through the Holy Spirit. No man is the head of the church that is only Jesus Christ. If you hear somebody say, I am the head of the church, let that be a red flag to you because no man is the head of the church. The elders, the pastors, the youth pastors, they are not the head of the church. Jesus is head of the church. Then we also see in verse 18 that he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. This speaks to the fact that he has defeated death. You see, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but you want to take a guess as to what happened to Lazarus later on after he was resurrected. He died again. Imagine that, dying twice. He's, he would eventually die again, but Jesus, guess what? He died, but then he raised from the grave physically, he lived, he walked before he ascended into heaven. He raised from the grave and he lives today. And in doing so, raising from the dead, he has defeated the grave, he has defeated death, and more importantly, he has defeated the work of Satan. Hebrews 2:14 tells us, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. First John 3, 8 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And all of these things that we read here about him being the head of the church and, and him being the firstborn from the grave, all of this happens so that he might have supremacy so that he might have supremacy. You see, Jesus Christ is preeminent. And to be preeminent means to surpass all else. Jesus is the end all, be all. He is above all else. There is nothing more important in this world, in this life, than Jesus Christ because of what he has done for us. He is the head of the church. He is the firstborn of the dead. And all of this speaks to his supremacy. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our glory. He is worthy of the honor that we bestow on him. He is above all else. 
He is preeminent. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 says this, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of this, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning, we can put our faith and trust in our living hope because he is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. And this morning, we find our, we find our leader. We find our, our praise should go to him, Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He is above all. He has defeated the grave. We serve a Savior who leads the church, who is above all all else. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of the, the worship that we give him. This, the next reason, the third reason that we can put our faith, our trust in this living hope is because in Christ the fullness of God dwells. In Christ the fullness of God dwells. Verse 19, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him so god was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him this is a powerful picture of the trinity and and again norman geisler says it very well here he says all god's qualities and activities his spirit word wisdom and glory are perfectly displayed in christ in Jesus Christ, he is the perfect representation of the Trinity. And you know in Scripture when it says that he was one with the Father and the Father was one with him? And it's driven home by the fact that in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. Everything about Jesus is connected to the Father, to the Holy Spirit. They are one. They are together. They, in Jesus, we see all of them on display. Colossians 2.9 it says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all lives in Jesus Christ. He is perfect representation. And it says that he, the, the fullness of God dwells in him. This word dwell in the verb form, it means to be at home permanently. To be at home permanently. So within Jesus Christ, God dwells permanently everything that jesus said everything that jesus did all of the miracles all of the teachings everything he did so together with the father and i think this adds a lot to that idea that they were one they were connected they did not exist apart from one another and so this morning we can put our hope and our trust in our living hope because within our living hope and within jesus christ the full trinity is on display and then the fourth point the fourth thing that we can look to to when we put our faith and our hope in this living hope is that christ reconciles us with god christ reconciles us with god in verse 20, 
says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And here it is in Colossians where we get to the whole point of Jesus coming to this earth. We get to the point of Jesus coming here to this little, this little rock called earth. The reason he has come is to reconcile everything back to him. He has come to reconcile everything to him. And you know, I think sometimes you might hear it say, you know, Christ came to reconcile us to him and, and, and bring him back to us but you see that's not an accurate statement because he never had to reconcile himself back to us he did nothing wrong no we were the ones who sinned we were the ones who made the mistake we were the ones who fall short or yeah who fall short and he has come to reconcile us back to him everything on heaven and earth, everything that is living or not, he has come to reconcile everything back to him. In order to complete this, he would go to the cross and he would shed his blood. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 tells us, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Jesus, by going to the cross and shedding his blood for us, has become a picture to us of reconciliation. But here we go. Here is where we get in to the crux of the matter. Verse 21 and 22, it says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, this is the truth. We were a mess. We were broken. We were beat down. We were sinful. We have stumbled. We have fallen. We are broken. We have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. In our sin, in our brokenness, we are worthy of death. We are worthy, and I'm just going to say it, we are worthy of life and hell. That is what we deserve. In our brokenness, in our sin, in our stumbling, this is what we deserve. But praise God this morning that we don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. Instead, he reconciles us to him through the body of Christ that hung on that cross and went to the grave and rose again. It is because of that we have reconciliation with him. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3. We read 23 a minute ago. Let's read verse 24. And it says, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We were worthy of death. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet by grace we receive redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. We read chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now let's go to verse 4 through 10. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were worthy of sin and death, and it is by grace that we have been saved by Jesus Christ, not by any works that we can do, but by God himself. We have been reconciled to him because of what he has done for us, because of the cross, because of the blood, because of the resurrection, we have been reconciled to the Father. And man, if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't give you a reason to put your faith, your hope, your trust in our living hope, I don't know what else will. And then verse 23. All of these things point us to the reason that Jesus is our living hope. He is created us. He is the head of the body of the believers. He is the fullness of the Trinity. He has reconciled us back to him. But here's how Paul ends this little section. If you continue in your faith, established firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that it has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become servant. You see, the reconciliation we just talked about that is made complete in Christ, it's made complete by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's made complete by giving your life to him. That reconciliation comes when we give our lives to him, when we say, God, I'm giving this over to you. I give my life over to you. I will follow you. I will put my trust in you, my hope in you. I will live for you. And I will live the life that you have called me to live. I will continue in faith, established and firm, and will not move from the hope held out in the gospel. What is that hope? What is that hope that Paul is talking about here, that hope held out in the gospel? Well, listen to what he says a little bit earlier in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. The true message of the gospel is God sent his son to die for us so that we can be forgiven. And in that we have hope of an eternal life destined for us, waiting for us in heaven. And heaven is where we pull down that hope and we live every single day putting our faith in him, knowing that someday if we do what we are supposed to do, if we give our lives to him, if we follow him, if we live our lives for him, we have hope in an eternal future. 
And so that leads me to us this morning. Have you put your faith in him? Have you given your life to him? You see, on that cross, a cross that is made for the worst of the worst, he hung. He took on our punishment. We are worthy of death. We are worthy of a life in hell, but he took on that punishment for us. He died for us, and he is the only hope we have. Without him, there is no other hope. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, the truth is this. We can't fix what we've broken. We can't fix what we've broken on our own. We can't. We can't make up for the sins that we've committed. We can't make up for the things that we've done. We can't. But we don't have to. Because God took care of that for us. He sent his son to die on that cross for us. And we have a chance to go to him, to lay all of our brokenness, lay all of these things at his feet. And so maybe you are here this morning and you've never given your life to him. Maybe you've never put your faith in him, your trust in him, and maybe you need to make that decision this morning. Quit trying to fix everything on your own and lay it at the feet of him who sent his son for you. And if you, if you have a decision that you need to make to follow him on your connect cards, you can, you can write that down and, and I'd love to talk with you about that further. Or maybe you are here this morning and you have been so caught up in, in the things of this world. You've been so caught up in all the busyness, all the, the things you see on the news or, or see on TV or read or, or whatever, and you've just lost sight of him. And maybe this morning you've put your trust in him, you've put your faith in him, and you just, maybe you just need to reconnect. During this song, you have an opportunity. If right where you're sitting, you, you just want to lift your voice to God and, and pray to him. Or if you want to come up here, I'd love to pray with you. Man, we have a living hope this morning. The Son of God is our living hope. He is creator. He is the head of the church. In him, the fullness of God dwells, and he has reconciled us to him. This morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so. If you need to just pray to him, I, I hope you would do so as we stand and we sing this morning.